1: Rob McCarron, and then two weeks after that, we got Money in the Bank, and then two weeks after that, we got Starcade, and then two weeks after that, we got Halloween Havoc. Jeff Hawkins, I'm Dana Brooke. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. Destination America's canceled TNA. Hello everybody and welcome to Shake Them Ropes. Rob McCarran here. Jeff Hawkins with us as always. Jeff, how are you doing today, 2 days after our big SummerSlam post show?
2: Ah, I'm doing well. That was Playing great. a trom- ah, Hey, I can play a trombone too. Xavier Woods.
1: That was very classical.
2: Thank you. I had to put my mute in because I was waking up the dog next door.
1: <laughs> wow. Good job.
2: You're welcome. And yeah, it fell out but, right. But
1: you know what, Jeff? It was all worth it.
2: Thank you. Yes. I go I go the extra mile for musical entertainment on this show.
1: It was all <laughs> worth it. Uh, you can check out our WWE SummerSlam Reaction Show with Dylan Hales at VoicesOfWrestling.com. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Ropes for the show at crap game 13 for Jeff, for mm. interacting, live tweeting, show <laughs> info, all that good stuff. And you can support the show by using our Amazon affiliate link, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Amazon. I'm going to put the link in the iTunes description as well. Uh, any purchases you make on Amazon, we get a little kickback. There's no extra cost for you. You can go out and get the new Madden game.
2: <laughs> you big Madden player, Jeff? I am not.
1: I don't play I d- any games. I think the last Madden I played was Madden 08,
2: maybe. I think the last I had was on the Sega. Yeah, whatever whatever the
1: one before Xbox 360, whatever was before that was the last one I had played. So it's been a little while. Um, But yeah, what are you waiting to do? If you haven't gotten the Daniel Bryan book, you can also get the Daniel Bryan book through the Amazon link. Only $13 on Kindle now. So you can go mm-hmm. to Amazon through com slash Amazon. We would greatly appreciate it. But Jeff, we may have possible breaking news.
2: Yes. Uh, Wade Barrett has changed his name on Twitter. Dun, da, da, dun. <laughs> you know, because social media is the best way to get all your news. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not? Let's presume the smallest little change
1: means everything. Yes. Uh, Wade Barrett, after getting dismantled in a minute by Cody Rhodes, Stardust on Monday's raw, he has tweeted out two hours ago that he is heading home. Not a moment too soon with the British flag. A soccer ball, a rugby ball, a movie camera, a gun, a beer mug, a fist, and I don't know what the last emoji is. <laughs> it appears just to be a beige square.
2: You're a man.
1: Don't use emojis. It appears to be a beige square, which may very well tell you all you need to know about Mr. Wade Barrett.
2: Might be a pink slip. Do you think so? I don't know. I'm just looking at it.
1: It appears that uh, if he is indeed gone, because his Twitter handle is at Wade Barrett, he has changed his visual display name to Stu Bennett. He is talking about heading home. He was dismantled after a minute in a joke little segment by Cody Rhodes, of all people. So uh, maybe he's maybe he's hurt just going home to rest. Maybe he just asked for a little hiatus. Maybe he's just working the marks, brother. Or maybe he is indeed gone. Maybe he's... The, First guy in the post summer slam exodus, mm. if there is such a thing, I don't know maybe he's maybe he's angling for that next year's g one you know
2: <laughs> well, hey, if c j Parker can go to New Japan after leaving developmental,
1: that's right c j Parker now going back to his uh indie name of Juice Robinson is debuting for new Japan Pro wrestling. On September 4th, he is going to be part of the Destruction Cards. He is going to work all the New Japan Grapplers, so he is on his way there, along with Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel hitting up uh, New Japan on the next tour also. So you got some former WWE and NXT stars debuting for New Japan Pro Wrestling When a new Japan pro wrestling star debuted for WWE over the weekend, Mr. Jushin Liger. Now, we didn't talk a whole lot about that. So, before we get into big topics of Raw, I wanted to get your impressions of Jushin Liger versus Tyler Breeze from NXT.
2: You know, I thought it was solid, but not spectacular. But, you know, I was grading on a curve anyways because I like Jushin Liger. He's a legend and he's almost 50. I mean, how much? I mean, he's not going to do what he did 20 years ago. So. I mean, for what it was, I thought it was pretty good. And I thought Jushin, as a, as a sports entertainer, fantastic. You know, using the selfie stick, imitating Breeze in the corner, doing the little things to oh. get himself over with the crowd. I thought that was great. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it was hilarious.
1: So I am uh, perusing the Twitter oh. and the news sites and the Google because I want to get all that I can about this Wade Barrett situation.
0: Mm.
1: Now in April <laughs> in April it was announced that bad news Barrett was going to star in a WWE movie. Yes. Called The Eliminators. Yes. Now I don't know when this was supposed to star or when this was supposed to actually take place. The article back in April says it was supposed to film in the spring. But I don't know if it hasn't yet, because I don't really remember Wade Barrett being gone that long. Mm. So maybe they're just now filming. Maybe he's filming a movie. Maybe he's just going to be out for that. I don't know. But that's a situation to watch for. You better believe I'm just navigating the Stu Bennett Twitter (laughs) nonstop, one after another.
2: Well, I mean, if we're gonna kill time, we might as well talk about Raw or we can talk more Takeover because hey, I thought Takeover was fantastic. I ain't I, I ain't I killing
1: time I, here. I'm generally I'm concerned about <laughs> Wade Barrett because when we uh we didn't have the show back when Wade Barrett was still part of the Nexus and when he was doing the NXT and right. you know, the uh it was still NXT, that's right. He was in the first season, right, of NXT. He was a superstar in NXT. This was the only guy who cut a commendable promo. During the, here's a word, cut a promo around this word, little angle, when he had the winds of change and really set off his career. This guy was the standout in a season that had Daniel Bryan in it and had some other performers who were still around. But when everyone wanted Daniel Bryan to succeed in that first season of NXT, the true standout, and I think it was kind of hidden because so many people were blind to the fact that Daniel Bryan was not indeed the best person in that season. Wade Barrett was the star of that season. And I always thought he had super potential. I'm hoping he's just on a hiatus for a little bit, and maybe he can come back and actually acclaim or you know retain or obtain that potential. But Wade Barrett's awesome.
2: Yeah, I, I think the worst thing that happened to Wade was not having Daniel Bryan to play off of in that nexus angle. Yeah. as As kind of a guy with a little bit more cred for the audience and having you know some poise of having worked in front of rather large crowds yeah
1: it could have been a negative just for the fact that they were both new and main wwe audiences didn't know who either one of them was but no 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 no. i
2: mean i mean yeah when i mean and you know they were gonna have they would have eventually had you know the leadership tussle probably over it right and that would have been interesting i think but but then they kind of dropped it all in wade's lap and then when it kind of didn't go the way they wanted to mostly on their end of the deal in terms of creative which we'll probably get into today again yep we're gonna Um, we're gonna
1: talk about that we're gonna talk about cm punk and the undertaker from wrestlemania 29 is match number 66 in our top 100 countdown we are going to get to that later in the show before we get to that we are going to talk with Les bloom and excuse me i got them mixed up already less (laughs) more and celia bloom yes of Sheet Sandwich and Talking Sheet are going to join us talking some of the coverage of the weekend WWE in Brooklyn, the Divas Revolution, the reaction to SummerSlam as a whole. Uh, A lot of that we're going to talk with them about. But first, we're going to talk about the main subjects coming from Raw. The Dudley boys are back. Braun Mm -hmm. Strowman has debuted properly Mm -hmm. as a member of the Wyatt family. Brooklyn did not necessarily enjoy the Divas tag from Monday night, but first... Mm -hmm. The challenger for Seth Rollins WWE World Heavyweight Championship at Night of Champions was determined on Raw, and it is going to be Sting. What are your thoughts on Sting? What you think about Sting getting a shot at the big gold belt?
2: Man, would have been great if he had beaten Hunter at WrestleMania and, you know, not shaking his hand at the end of the match. Because yeah. now it doesn't make sense. I think it makes
1: plenty of sense. I, this is a talking point that I've seen others make too. And I, I don't see how it doesn't make sense. I You can go with that narrative that, oh, he he buried the hatchet with the authority. He lost a match. You know, one, the angle is he lost a match. Why is he getting a world title okay. shot? The other one is he buried the hatchet with the authority. Why is he still going after the authority? Now, here's my answer to both of those things. Okay. He buried okay. the hatchet with Triple H. It doesn't necessarily mean he ha- doesn't want anything to do with Seth Rollins. I mean, the uh, Seth Rollins is kind of his own man now. He's the man. Triple H was the one who put him up against Brock Lesnar. They mm-hmm. put him up against John Cena. It's mm-hmm. not like Triple H is all of a sudden going to bow down and just not give Seth Rollins a fight, you know. And then the second thing is the authority angle. Like, yeah, he buried the hatchet with Triple H. He's done. He lost the match. Why does he deserve a world title shot? Well, you know what? Because he's still an icon. And he took Triple H to the limit. Triple H probably wants to see what Seth Rollins can do against, against Sting. Like, I don't think it makes zero sense. I think there's a way to make it make sense.
2: Are you Are going to say that Triple H put him up to it? I'm going to say that, you <laughs> okay.
1: know, I'm going to say that Jon Stewart was the reason why Seth Rollins possibly retained that title. Like, again, Jon Stewart didn't make John Cena lose. Like, Seth mm-hmm. Rollins and John Cena were both up. Seth Rollins was the first one up. Mm-hmm. He helped Seth Rollins win, but he's not the reason be- that Seth Rollins won. So Sting's gimmick in WWE is that he's a vigilante, right? He you know, makes injustices go the right way. Well, if he sees Seth Rollins being champion as an injustice, he's coming for that title. He's going for it. It's not like he earned the match. Triple H gave it to him. You know why? Because Triple H is the man in power. And he wants to give Seth Rollins a challenge. Seth, Triple H made the match after Raw. It wasn't that Seth Rollins said yes or whatever the fact. You know, Triple H just made the match. It's a match okay. of champions too, by the way. I mean, it's a headlining pay-per-view. WWE, in... WWE has the right to tell whatever story they want. We may not always like it, but that's the
2: story they want. I mean, no, if... I'm mean, not saying that they don't have the right to say it. They, they, they tell the story they want, but you know, some of us like stories that have continuity to them. But oh, we're in silly season of WWE. We're in the, la- the, the this last four months or so. Not going to really matter in continuity. That's true. Because, we, we are because, kind of, because we're in the vacuum. We're, yeah, we're waiting for Royal Rumble season to begin, pretty much. This is the dead time. This is when they try stuff, which, for better or for worse, might be good. For you know, if Vince goes on vacation for two weeks, then you'll get, you know, something weird and wacky that may pop a spark on under people. But you know, we're, we're in silly season. We're going to get these hot shot angles. We're going to get the Dudley boys coming back. We're well, going to get. Let me ask you this,
1: okay? Because okay. the talking point of it doesn't make sense. Well, what would you rather do? Like, what would have been better if Kane came back and was in the world title picture for the next couple of months? If John Cena just got match after match with Seth Rollins? And and don't give me the, oh, give it to Cesaro or Kevin Owens. We need realistic options that one can main event a pay-per-view because Cesaro and Kevin Owens can't do that yet. Hopefully at some point they can, but they can't do that right now and, and make it make sense per se. What would you have rather they done than bring <laughs> Sting back? First of all, you're the big Sting fan.
2: Wait, right? hold on. No, no, no. I'm not the big Sting fan. I am the guy who defended Sting. That's, that's They're They're different. I'm not the biggest Sting fan all in right. the world. All right. But I think, you know, the way that they crushed him at WrestleMania was dirty pool. And then you bring him out here. I mean, yeah.
1: But did they really crush him? I mean, DX came in. So what if the NWO came in and kind of even the outside odds? There were still a lot of, I mean, that was a, that was a spectacle match. It wasn't an athletic competition. Who, Who would I rather put in, in this point? Who would, who would you rather have they done? That would have made sense. If your issue with Sting coming in this match doesn't make sense, who would you have rather they put in there?
2: You could have debuted Balor here. I mean, just as a one-shot for Night of Champions. And try and elevate him and see what you can get out of him because Sting doesn't have any long-term marketability to you.
1: You're coming at me with...
2: Hey, Instead of well, Sting and
1: Rollins, can, they should have done can, Finn Balor. Hold on,
2: you came out me with who do you recommend? And it can't be this guy, this guy, this guy, or this guy.
1: It can't so be I Kevin you- Owens or Cesaro.
2: Well, I mean, it's fine to have Sting, but it just... You, okay, fine. Let's. It's, and it's one show.
1: I mean, this is going to happen at Night of Champions. I'm not.
2: I'm not angry at it being a sting reveal. I just said it doesn't logically make any sense. It, they're going to do what they're going to do because they don't care if it makes sense or not. Because it's entertainment, and it's and it's yeah, mostly disposable. Right. So I'm fine with it's it. it's
1: entertainment. And you know what? I think you <laughs> can make sense of it. Now the question you then are becomes:
2: well, me today.
1: <laughs> well, you shouldn't get frustrated All because right. I am making sense, and you For are being me. ridiculous. But, 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 Sting and Seth Rollins begs the question that this is going to be another Seth Rollins title match that ends in a wonky fashion, no? Seth I don't Rollins- know
2: about that. He can, beat, he can beat Sting clean. It's just that beating Sting clean won't matter, really, to, Not to make him Sting wrestle at
1: WrestleMania for any reason,
2: do you think? Oh I my mean- god, you think they're going to do that? I think they're okay. not bringing
1: Sting back for this one night of champion show and never use him again. I think he's going to do something at WrestleMania. I don't know if it's going to be Undertaker. I don't think it will be. Yeah,
2: but I don't remember, know what it will said, be. Remember, we said we don't think we're going to bring Sting to debut him at WrestleMania to have him lose either, so...
1: that's why you know what i mean not to rehash wrestlemania too much but i I just don't think that loss with triple h mattered i think it was just a it was a little spot in the card to see sting versus triple h sting in a wwe ring oh
2: it was them spiking the football over wcw and i'm fine with that that's it's their company it's their right to do that rollins will you know the thing here the danger here is he's wrestling 50 some year old sting in a match at the top of the card for the world title. If the match goes poorly, who gets the blame?
1: The match goes poorly. I think Sting's going to get the blame. I don't see Rollins getting the blame.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Especially I just since Triple I
1: H is the one who was in the ring with Sting, and Triple H knows firsthand the limitations of Sting. <laughs>
2: Do you think that gives Rollins a clean win? Let's say a clean win. Oh, I don't, think
1: a, I don't think a clean okay. win is happening. I okay. think there's some type of shenanigans because okay. that's just the way a Seth Rollins title match goes.
2: But if it is a clean win by chance, does it give Rollins credibility as a champ?
1: Um, No further credibility than this wacky win over John Cena gave him.
2: Okay, then no. I mean, it'll be, I think, I hope it'll be a good match. I mean, I like, I like, uh, I think it will be a fun
1: spectacle. And I think, I think they'll probably make it into some type of no DQ. I wonder what they're going to do because right now the WWE website lists him, uh, Seth Rollins as the United States champion. I don't know if he's going to defend that belt in the same match with sting. If it's going to be just a dual uh, defense, I don't know if he's going to wrestle twice. I mean, a lot of people out there think that he's going to wrestle twice. I don't know if I would go that way. Uh, he very well could defend the U S title against John Cena. And wrestle John Mm -hmm. Cena and Sting in a double main event. And maybe that's how Sting wins the world title. And then they do a rematch to put it on whoever they want to be the true champion.
2: I don't know. Maybe they're going to give Sting a title run here. Well, you know what? That'd be fascinating to me. I wouldn't mind that. A little one-month thing, have Sheamus come out, kick him in the face, take the belt back. Sure. But I'll tell you one thing. I mean, this Raw, um, it, it highlights what WWE does really, really well. And highlights what WWE does not so well in terms of, you know, when they debut guys or when they have surprises and stuff, they do really well here. That their problem is everybody else, other than the people that they're, you know, taking good care to make a big splash with.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We're going to get into uh, some of the returns and debuts here when we bring our guests, Les and Celia, on right after this. Welcome back to Shake Them Ropes, Rob and Jeff here, and we are now joined by two very special guests here to the show. The first time they have been on the show, uh, we have both, Jeff and I, been lucky enough to be on their podcast, Talking Sheet, individually, so it is now time for them to reciprocate with the love and come on our show to talk about some pro wrestling. We are joined by Les Moore and Celia Bloom of Sheet Sandwich and the Talking Sheet podcast. Les and Celia How are
3: you?
4: I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me.
3: And I, too, am doing well.
4: I'm doing well, brother. Oh, that's my little. There we go. Wow,
3: that was was quite (laughs) pathetic, actually. It It was. was.
1: It was rather sad. Let's move on, Rob. Here here I am, the one with the pieces (laughs) of paper in front of me, giving me notes on how not to be annoying, creepy, or antagonistic. (laughs) And how does Jeff start the show?
2: I'll play trombone <laughs> if you want.
1: That's not a euphemism, by the way. He literally I, started I, the show I
2: started playing trombone.
1: Yeah, did you really?
2: The...
1: Yeah. I can't wait for that. Not a euphemism, thank God. He was actually playing the <laughs> trombone. So uh, we are here to talk about a number of different things. Um, Lesson, Celia. I'm very glad you could join us today as we uh, talk about the weekend that was WWE in Brooklyn for three straight days. Uh, we're going to talk about all that, but Les, I wanted to, uh, before we get to the wrestling talk, Yeah, I wanted to get to the background and the story on exactly how Sheet Sandwich came to be and what you actually do there if you want to tell the people what Sheet Sandwich is all about.
3: Yeah, yeah, happy to. Uh, so Sheet Sandwich kind of started because I noticed as somebody who is just a a huge wrestling fan, but also a fan of... Uh, this kind of notion that there is a cottage industry of people who not only pay for for consuming wrestling content, but, but pay for consuming insider wrestling content. But the thing that I had noticed as somebody who does this himself, that is pay for premium uh, wrestling insider news content, uh, I have noticed this kind of shift happening over the past several years of... Some of the best stuff that's out there doesn't necessarily take place on any of the premium sites anymore. And uh the groundswell of maybe disgruntled uh customers or just kind of uh people saying, What you know, what are we paying for it is growing. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to just kinda put the microscope on some of the people who are paying uh, or, or or charging, I should say, as much or more than WWE itself is charging for the WWE network mm-hmm. for subscriptions to their content. And so, if WWE is worthy of all this scrutiny of what makes a good wrestling product, why aren't these guys um, deserving of scrutiny of what makes good wrestling news content? And I just thought it would be this fun kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know. Uh, thing to do, and so I started it up, and it it kind of caught on, and people generally either seem to have a lot of fun with it, or depending on their proclivities or their um their leanings, uh, have a hard time with it because there are times where I pick on uh people who they kind of have an affinity for, and um it's just interesting to me to see how strong some of those affinities uh, seem to be. But anyway, that's kind of how it got started. And uh, I'm just, we've just been having fun with it ever since. And so the podcast is an extension of that, where just every week, rather than talk about just the news of the week in wrestling, we talk about how the news is being covered and the differences between how it's covered in the various uh, premium pay website. So we talk about the PW Torch a lot, talk about the Observer and F4W a lot, and then a little bit the PW Insider. Um, and then we do uh, kind of uh, one of our shows each week is looking back in what we call our rear view segment, where we take a look at the uh, old Observer newsletters from the 80s and and look at how Dave Meltzer used to cover wrestling compared to how he covers it in this day and age.
2: Yeah, I oh, hold on. Me...
3: Is
1: Jeff just is Jeff yep. just running his Listen. own angle now with dogs that are next door?
2: Uh no, just I had to silence a few things here. No, I, I think the misunderstanding from talking sheet comes in that they think that at least your critics, the most vocal ones I've read, think you're some sort of ombudsman for wrestling journalism as right. opposed to just kind of a paying consumer who's yeah. taking all this in and, and just kind of critiquing it all.
1: Yes. It's kinda of like it's kinda of like a baseball fan blogging about baseball. Not sure. not a sports writer blogging about other sports writers. Right. You're 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 a blogger, you know. And, and that's uh you just like to put everything out there. I think it's uh taken on because it's an interesting concept for sure. And uh Celia Bloom, uh one of your cohorts on the Talking Sheet podcast who covers uh the divas and the total divas show. Celia, how did you get roped into all this?
4: Oh <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I've known uh, Hugh and Les for a really, really long time, and I would always get suckered into coming over here to the studio and watching this stuff on TV, and they knew that I watched Total Divas, and from time to time I would say things, and they're like, how did you know that? Can you read things and talk about it? And at first they're like... "Um, yeah, we'll just toss you a couple things to read. It won't be that, that big of a deal, but it turned into a big deal, and I'm having fun with it. um so i i I didn't know what it would be. and here we are.
1: here we are and, and your beat is uh on talking sheet. You talk about the total divas. you talk about the presentation of women's wrestling so far in the main roster of w w e uh, but not just that, as goes with the theme of the show, you talk about how different media outlets cover the women's wrestling in WWE Uh, since you started with talking sheet, has anything surprised you about the coverage that you've seen of the so-called divas uh, revolution?
4: Um, not, not really surprised me because it just, it just coincidentally happened that I came on board right as that, right as this old revolution transpired. So, um, it's all I really know. I wasn't following it. Like I was following it before. Um, I do think that it's great that people are expecting what they're expecting from women's wrestling. So I enjoy reading about it. And the different points of view are actually really interesting. I'm learning a super ton.
1: And, and Les, when you, uh, when you and Celia started talking more in depth uh, with Hugh Little, your co-host on Talking Sheet, when you started talking about this Divas Revolution, uh, obviously you had watched wrestling for a long time prior. So how does this presentation of the women on WWE TV, how does it differ than what they presented them as before. Like to me, it feels like a lot of the same presentation. They're just calling it important. Am I wrong? Yeah.
3: Um, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong. I would say it's, uh, it's one of those strange, uh, yes and no situations where from a presentation standpoint, you know, I think the differences are, uh, at least early on when they started, this was, um, calling it more important. Yes, but they did, they kind of did some surface things, right? They gave it more time. They gave them more matches. So they kind of like doubled or tripled the amount of time that we would previously get with, uh, the diva segment. I think we went from maybe like one three minute match or segment per week to two 10 minute segments for on most weeks, at least early on. And then that's kind of tapered and tapered, uh, over the past several weeks. But, um, you know i think I think that's the biggest the biggest thing from the Matte action that we actually see uh, um in the ring, yeah, I mean, there's not a ton different other than there there are some aptitudes that are different, so that when we see Becky Lynch or Charlotte in the ring with a Sasha or a Naomi, it's a little bit better than we had seen in the past where it was maybe one of the Bella twins against an Alicia Fox, and we're certainly way better off than we were when we had. Um, you know, some of the other, other divas in there, um, the one, who's the one diva whose name I've just completely blocked out of my mind, but she was kind of, she was with Cesaro for a while and dropped the knee on Naomi and, and popped her eye out there. Oxana. Oxana. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, so we're like head and shoulders beyond those days. Uh, and I would say, you know, maybe half a shoulder above where we are, where we were maybe six months ago when it was, um, you know, the Bellas and and Natalia and Naomi. I just, I
1: find it so interesting because they're modeling this after not only the NXT women who have, you know, gotten a lot of positive feedback and, you know, they're drawing eyeballs just because of the, the takeover matches that they have and how they've stood out, but they're doing a lot of the branding and the modeling after, People like Ronda Rousey and Serena Williams and the, and the women athlete stars of the world who are dominating their sports. So their idea here is to take these individuals who are becoming stars in their sport and instead of making an individual yeah. woman star or maybe two of them to go and have a fierce rivalry with each other – they're bringing in nine and having all these teams. It's, yeah. you know, it's as if uh, you, you look at the U.S. women's soccer team that have been popular every four years when the World Cup happens, and that one team is still a singular unit. It's not like everyone is following the U.S. and Canada and South Africa or any other team. They're following one singular unit. So why is it that WWE here thinks that if you throw nine onto the chalkboard, they're all going to just stick up there?
3: I mean that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Is that doesn't make sense? And Celia and I uh, talk about this a lot, and we were talking about it early this afternoon. And that is the that is the thing that's wrong with everything that is happening with this diva's revolution. Is it's too much of a mix for anyone to stand out, and the entire? I mean, I'll speak, and in, in Celia can talk about how what this is like just kind of for the divas revolution, but I'll speak for like my opinion of classically how anything in wrestling works. It's always let that one individual rise, you know, to a a role of prominence that people can get behind. I mean, we saw this and I'll use this as a, you know, maybe a little bit of an out there example, but think about, you know, when the rock, joined the Nation of Domination and they were doing kind of faction wars in the nineties in and WWE with uh DOA and the Nation of Domination and Los Barriquas and, and the heart foundation and the, and you know, that whole era that was kind of dying a death. No one was getting over there. Really. It was just all in the mix. And it wasn't until some of the personalities started breaking away like the rock and, and, and kind of, I mean, I guess to some degree there for a little bit, Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown had their little mid-card thing going on, but it was The Rock that kind of brought that out of the just the standard mix. And we're seeing the same thing here with the Divas. And the problem is the Divas aren't even as strong a presentation or as popular an act in today's WWE as those guys were in the nineties where it just felt like, Hey, we need some foils for the heart foundation in this, um, you know, this kind of faction warfare that's going on. So the heart foundation needs some, um, kind of opponents to play against here. It's like from the ground up, let's have a mix of three teams of divas to play with. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think the way to have done this, if they're going to bring them all up at the same time, you do it kind of like how nitro did it. Back in ninety late ninety five, ninety-six, I guess, was you know, every week they'd announce, oh, next week Chris Benoit is gonna be here. Next week Chris Jericho debuts, next week Rey Mysterio debuts. You bring yeah. them in one at a time, you give them a match with a diva on the current roster, and then you have the nine kind of intermingling to see, you know, who wants to be you know the alpha female, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and exactly there's, yeah. And, and there's been two, um, Because they brought Becky up, they brought Sasha up, and they brought Charlotte up all at the same time. Uh, Jeff's kind of right in a way. like You could bring all of them up, just stagger it a little bit. Uh, Because even in NXT, when the so-called NXT women's revolution was taking place over the last year, they didn't just have one or two faces. They had Bailey, they had Sasha, they had Charlotte, they had uh, Becky... And then they had all the other women who were still new to NXT. So it's it's not like they just had one or two. You could do multiple. You just have to have some singular storylines and singular focus, which just makes all this so weird. Because if they would have brought up all three of these and brought them up individually, I think you would have been 10 times greater the chance that people would care about this if you didn't just put everyone in a team together. like The team really is probably the part that's that's making this not work so well. Celia, would you, do you think if they were, if they had individual focuses more than just a team aspect, even if you still had nine divas that you were showing on TV, would it be that much different as long as they were all aligned individually?
4: Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I was actually talking about this earlier with less. Um, and I mean, not to derail the question, but even thinking about it and perspective of me re- taking another look at Bailey based on Jeff's recommendations and understanding her development and her character and reading the articles and, you know, watching her on Saturday night. It, it's about that character. And there was something about that that drew me to it with all that information around it. They're not even developing the teams like if nothing else, develop a storyline around the teams and give us give us um someone to root for. I mean, the whole thing about um, WWE is this good versus bad. We don't know who's good. We don't know who's bad. We don't know who to root for. Um, and, and it's just, it's confusing. I'm actually losing my patience a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, women like Sasha Banks, uh, took over a year and a half to develop into, uh, into what she is right now, which is a big deal. I mean, Charlotte took a year. She was the champion going on February of last year. Or uh yeah, February of earlier this
3: year, I should say
2: i mean that um, that Bailey Sasha promo video, which I think is one of the best things that w w e has done, gave the whole it,
3: it the Bailey whole disappearing in yes oh Jesus yeah
2: yeah, it gave Bailey's whole story of eight the last eighteen months in three minutes, yeah, made Sasha a great heel just by tapping the belt that thing yeah. was one of the Best things I've ever seen WWE do video wise. But the point is
1: they took a lot of time to develop these because it was, it was over a year and a half of Charlotte being a dominant force to get her even remotely close to what she is. And not everyone. I think one of the the big things when you look at takeovers compared to the WWE audience and who comes up, people like Braun Strowman uh, even coming up as Braun Strowman. I mean, not everyone in the WWE universe watches NXT so you can't just develop it on NXT and then bring them up in the same character and expect people to care on the main roster because half of the people haven't seen them. They don't know this development. You got to develop them all over again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, here's and here's probably the, the, the starkest example of what we're talking about is on raw last night. um, During that divas uh, six woman tag team match, right? We had the crowd, kind of going into business for itself, but for a while chanting, we want Sasha. They're not chanting, we want Sasha because she's done anything in WWE to make them want her more. They're chanting, we want Sasha because she has been in the presentation with Bailey. She was there Saturday night, busting her ass in a killer match. That was probably one of the best matches of the weekend, if not the best match of the weekend she's gotten over because of her individual contribution right and that that to me in a microcosm is exactly what's wrong with the diva's revolution and and goes into exactly what you know Celia and I have been talking about with, yeah.
1: with that. she got over with her individual contribution in front of that specific audience too in brooklyn mm-hmm. so they had seen what the best of the division can be and she I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe someone else is the top star coming across on television. I think of all nine who are in this program, including Nikki Bella, who does come across as a star when she's not in the ring, when she's just a presence on television. Sasha Banks has completely overtaken the role of the leader of Team Bad from Naomi, who was obvious they wanted Naomi to be the leader. Sasha Banks comes across as a true star on TV, kind of like how you couldn't ignore the fact that Trish Stratus was coming up as a star when she first began.
3: Right. Yeah, but yeah she, you know I what? mean, she's it, special okay. for ahead. sure. I mean, her presence is definitely a special thing, but there's been nothing that we've seen, I mean, other than just the way she carries herself, which is, you know, kind of, like I said, a star. So she's maybe got, as divas go, that rock quality where she kind of has the, she knows she's it, Yeah, and she's going to let that shine through. But, you know, that her just kind of being the charismatic, the most charismatic woman on Team Bad... Wasn't what got thirteen thousand fans chanting We want Sasha during that segment last night and'll this
2: I'll say this perfect. in Sasha and uh, I mean in, in, uh, in Becky and, and Charlotte's defense. Sasha has it a little bit easier to show confidence and cockiness because she's playing a heel here while Becky and Charlotte are kind of playing baby faces, and it's hard to come off as a white meat baby face playing cocky and confident.
4: Do you agree well, with that, Celia? They would give them some character development. Well, we might th- be able no doubt. Her. Yeah. Um, I'm, but I'm with you.
1: Now we talk about Sasha Banks a lot, and she is one of the true stars of this uh, this division, the NXT division. She had quite the roller coaster of a weekend too, because her first match on Saturday night, the NXT Takeover show, was what a lot of people are calling a match of the year contender, her uh, women's championship match with Bailey, where Bailey won the championship. Then the next night at SummerSlam, which in theory should have been the biggest showcase of all the three shows, you have SummerSlam in there, and it's the nine-person elimination match. Sasha's team is eliminated first. The crowd is noticeably despondent when she uh, leaves because they wanted to see more of Sasha. So she goes from a limited role in that match to not even being on Monday Raw. Like yeah. what about the weekend that was of Sasha banks and with you guys covering the coverage of the women's division, uh, what, what has stood out to you as far as the coverage of Sasha Banks's weekend here in WWE.
3: I think so. I mean, I think in this is again, one of the things we're talking about is that she, I mean, she was in the top match of the weekend, right? There right. were everything that kind of we've been seeing is, I mean, I've even heard it on podcasts and, and, And written about by like some pretty, you know, up there um, personalities in the in the pro wrestling journalism sphere that it was the it's the best match of the weekend. Right. It is the one that um, she had with Bailey. And then in kind of just a middle of the road, ho hum match on SummerSlam that just kind of, I mean, fizzled out, really. I mean, no one no one left that match. You know, I mean, Celia. Can I mean you? You were disappointed by by that divas match that we watched on Summerslam.
4: I was. I thought that it there were some strong points, but I thought it ended on a weak note. I I wanted a little bit more than that. And I also noticed, like, a, what was that whole Charlotte thing when she was leaning against the? Oh, last night. Or last night, yeah. I, well, I'm just thinking it's all kind of melding together for me, but um, there's something going on here. I don't know if it's that. um The Divas are more aware of how they're being perceived, so there's some quick adjustments in in what's happening. But Charlotte had a weird moment last night, and also fans are reacting today to just how the weekend's matches went and who were really the star. And I would have to say that it seems like Bailey and Sasha is what the conversation is around.
2: Stelio, what was your reaction to what some would call the Mrs. Mansplaining during the divas revolution segment.
4: Well, I just don't want him to ever have the mic. I just don't even think he should have anyone should ever give him the mic to be honest. But I just just thought that one, I guess if you're going to go up there with a mic, you have to let them talk. Number two, um, (laughs) there was just, there was no connection for me. I had no idea what was the intent of his, what was the point of even inviting doing the, what they call it, Ms. TV or whatever it you is. Um, I just didn't understand what he was trying to get out of it. I didn't understand the connection.
1: He was a prayer. I mean, really, if you're watching was- that segment, he was basically bringing these women on to all tell them to shut up.
2: Yeah. yeah, oh, exactly. oh, oh, no, I I thought he was there kind of trying to get one of them to turn heel on the others because they're saying, isn't there some dissension over who got the pin and whatnot? And then, you know, telling him to
3: they shut did up. Their pinky swear.
2: Jeez oh, Christ.
4: God. Can I just... I
3: mean, the, the pinky swear did more to undermine that segment than him putting his hand up because the simple fact of the oh. matter is that's his shtick. He does that every week, even to the crowd. So that wasn't him, like, mistreating the women. That was just him doing his... Like stupid ass, you know, new mm-hmm. new uh, catchphrase. Yeah, right? He does
1: that to everyone. The, Big Show. He's done it to exactly. everybody.
3: The 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 damaging part of that for me. And Brian Alvarez actually brought this up on uh, the Wrestling Observer Live today. Even though, strangely, he didn't get the details right of when my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut, which he says every week for four weeks. Mess that quote up, but that's his catchphrase. That's what he does. And the worst part of that wasn't that he said that in between six arguing women. It was that when he said it, the crowd for the first time ever was like, yes, Yes. please shut up. They
1: were agreeing with him. Like, thank God he's fine. They were. Thank God. The Miz is the voice of reason here. And that should never
3: I should never that is it. the worst part. It is the worst part.
1: I almost felt like during the eight-man tag, though, that Cesaro was being like, he was trying to be super pow-pow with Randy Orton, like, he knows who the star is and he wants to be his best friend. Like, I thought he would have pinky-swear with Randy Orton at some point. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
4: pinky, they're bringing it back.
3: Pinky-swear is the new, uh, sure. the, the new high-five, the new you and me, bro, we got this. I right. feel like and,
4: Talia and, and Bailey, Bailey pinky-swear, but, like, Becky Lynch and Paige are supposed to, like, cut open their blood brothers right yeah
1: yeah Paige doesn't seem like the one who's gonna pinky swear to anything (laughs) and becky certainly doesn't bailey would be the one to initiate a pinky swear and then it would make sense because bailey that's bailey
3: and guys what was becky's whole androids aliens and whatever the hell she was talking about well i mean she's become the comedic personality of the trio. Oh, oh, kind of like how
2: Xavier Woods was for those first couple of weeks when the new day turned heel and he just kind of went off and didn't go along with it.
3: Awful. Yeah. It's like some writer backstage is like, Oh, she's steampunk, right? This is cool. Yeah. Some steampunk is ghosts and cyborgs.
0: And
1: does, does anyone watch uh big bang theory? Yes. <laughs> the fun with flags segment <laughs> they do on that show. I feel like if you wanted to make that a WWE segment, You put Finn Balor and Becky Lynch together like that is fun with flags. Indeed. They would just be super weird, super awkward. Finn would be playing with his Legos somewhere. (laughs) Like it would be, that's fun with flags in real life. And I hope they never do it because then you're just killing all credibility. Finn Balor might actually have. And I wanted to get your reactions to sting coming back, being in the world title picture, Celia and less. Does it make sense or does it not?
4: I don't know if it makes sense or it doesn't because I have to catch up on why he would be introduced. I'm a little disconnected from that, but I can tell you I was pleasantly surprised because, as a matter of fact, when I started watching back then, I think it was WWF with my dad, Sting was my crush.
3: Sting was In the crush? Of- Ooh.
4: CW, sorry. Whichever one. It's changed. I mean...
3: That's right.
1: That's fine. Less uh we were kind of talking about this before we went on air, of course. Uh, you know, I think Jeff and I agree that this match could be interesting, it could be entertaining, it may not make, you know, storyline logistical sense, but in the sense of it, you know, Triple H went one on one with Sting at WrestleMania. It was a tough match. Yes, Triple H won, but now Triple H's gimmick here is throwing all the tough shots at Seth Rollins so he can toughen Seth up. And this is another yeah. shot he's throwing at Seth Rollins. He's putting Sting in the title picture at Night of Champions. Um if it's a one match thing, if it's a win for Seth Rollins, it's not really doing any harm, is it?
3: No, I mean, what, I mean, there can be no harm done to defeating a fifty six year old man who's only in for a spot kind of uh, special attraction um, matches, and this is high profile. It's going to get high hype. Sting was not, I mean, as much as people have passion around Sting being in WWE. Which is great. I mean, as somebody who was, you know, grew up on on Sting in UWF and WCW, and it's great to see him in in a WWE ring. He was not hurt. I mean, Sting being in that match with Triple H and having that presentation with the NWO and and Degeneration X being out there and the Sledgehammer introduced and all that stuff. None of that was as damaging to Sting as the years he toiled in TNA as kind of a non-entity mm-hmm. for anything but kind of this half-assed troubled organization. So, I think we ha- there's a there's too much of a passion around wins and losses as it relates to a guy like Sting at this stage of his career. Sting is somebody who can be there for at least now, right? I mean, you couldn't do this in perpetuity but he doesn't have the shelf life that that we should have to worry about it. He can come in, pop some interest, and do his thing, and win or lose, it doesn't matter. I mean, I know that's cliche to say, and I don't always agree that wins and losses don't matter. They certainly do. They do for guys like Kevin Owens and Cesaro. I don't think they do for a guy like Sting. This is more of a presentation, a gimmick of Seth Rollins just having a title match against a name that people can recognize in this kind of special, unique offering for this night of champions that were it not for that. And maybe even were it not for this, the storyline that I think is going to unfold where Rollins has to defend both titles on a show. Like he wanted to hold both titles. He wanted his statue and kind of have himself patted on the back as the greatest of all time. Now watch, he's going to just unravel as he's told by Triple H, who's always kind of like pushing his buttons, that he's going to have to defend both titles on this show. And I think what this is, this isn't a storyline that's Seth Rollins and Sting. That's not the storyline. The storyline here is Seth Rollins and Triple H. And Seth and Triple H poking the buttons in, in, of Seth Rollins and kind of nudging him And eventually that's going to unravel. And I still do think that, you know, this fall or maybe at a Royal Rumble, we're going to see Triple H and Seth Rollins in the ring. That's what it's building to.
1: Uh, Jeff, I mean, would you agree with that? Because that's a good point that this whole, I mean, Sting could just be a prop in the whole Triple H and Seth Rollins story. It's not necessarily about this one title defense. But if the story eventually becomes Triple H and Seth Rollins, this kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it?
2: It would, but... Judging from Triple H's reaction last night, he didn't know Sting was in the box. So you're going to have to go, you're going to have to make that connection for me. I
1: I, I love just, I, I hear you say that and I just laugh, like judging by Triple H's reaction. All
2: right, fine. Okay. No,
1: no, no, I'm not saying, no, this is what WWE is and this yeah. is why wrestling is great because you just said, and this was the angle, Sting was in the box I mean, I just love (laughs) pro wrestling sometimes. Like that's how, that's how sting gets a championship match because he was in the box. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: I, I want to, but, but here's the thing. If they go go the way you think they're going, it's going to be another one of these. Well, the authority planned this all along and our shocked reactions were fake. And it's just, it's not going to do much for that triple H story to be honest. If
1: they do it, if they do it that way, I don't know if, I think Les's idea here can happen without Triple H actually knowing that Sting was indeed going to be revealed. Maybe this is just one little detour in Triple H's eventual plan Yeah, Seth Seth
2: could cut a a promo that says, oh, you should have known you're in charge around here. I mean,
3: I kind of, I kind of disagree. I don't know that Triple H's reaction was one of like shock or surprise. I mean storyline logic wise, I know this is a leap because we're talking about WWE, Right, is that Triple H has already vanquished Sting. He should not be worried about a guy like Sting. So he didn't react as though a surprise Triple H might in finding Sting in that box. He reacted in kind of like, a ooh, this is now a thing. I'm going to just kind of back out of the ring and let this take place. That's completely befitting a character like Triple H, you know, wanting to play out, you know, not wanting to tip his hand to a guy like Rollins to say, yeah, that's right, or I set this up and mm-hmm. now you're going down because you know I'm 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 throwing another thing at you. He just kind of oop, okay, now it's on and backed out. You know, I don't know that it was this like kind of like he didn't go into like a livid reaction, stomping his feet and 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 throw in a temper tantrum like we've seen Triple H do before when his plans do not go according to plan. Stephanie, even more so, right? I mean, the, the tantrum level was not as high as it has been in the past, and we've seen these guys do their machinations before where even when they knew something was going to happen and they set the stage, they kind of play it off like, we're, you know, we didn't really do it, but like kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we did it where are they at on total divas?
1: Cause Jeff and I, we don't watch the total oh, diva show. We don't watch yes. tough enough either, but where are we at on total divas in continuity to what's currently on TV? on Sure. Raw?
4: Thank you for asking. It's actually all starting to meld together right now. So it's, it's connecting a little bit better for me. Um, right now we're at the point where, uh, Trinity just turned. Okay. Uh, and, and so they announced that in the last episode, tonight's episode. um, I'm looking forward to. I don't know what's happening in the actual in in um, WWE, but there's some turning event. Oh no, we're at the point where TJ gets hurt. Okay, so that, tonight's episode includes TJ getting hurt and Natty's reaction. Um, so that's kind of where we are. But they are starting to talk about the Divas Revolution. And I'm starting to get some background kind of information um, that goes along with that. And the interesting thing, well. I was actually uncertain um, how much, I'm uncertain how much is scripted, but what I'm finding after today and people are emailing me articles and there's some, you know, um, severe call outs on Twitter. um, Eva Marie has her NXT debut. Uh Also um, going back to the divas reactions, I think it's interesting. I'm starting to connect, especially with how the girls reacted on Twitter last night. Um, They think that they think they're revolutionizing wrestling. So I actually have a question of who do they listen to the people that watch their show? Because I can't imagine that we are the only ones that feel like, hey, you said you were going to bring it. You haven't brought anything but you're going to get agitated when people are expecting more and kind of we're snoring in the, in the bleachers watching you because we want this revolution and you're not bringing it. And then you go psycho on Twitter, which I thought was bad form by the way. Right. Um, so it just occurs to me that one, they think they're revolutionizing women's wrestling, which is a problem Two, um, I, Who's giving them feedback? Who's listening to the people talking about what we expect? Like how, I mean, how horse, you're at the water.
1: <laughs> Jeff.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to answer the question for her. Um, I, actually, I have a question, Celia. What was your reaction to the Miz last night and his interaction oh, with the Divas?
4: I was snoring already. I'm like, can we get on it? It was a little painful for me to watch, I thought. It didn't even need to be there. We don't even know why they're in this battle. For what are they in this whole conflict over. What are they all wrestling for just to be the best?
2: Yeah. I I question that
1: too throughout the team because Jeff and and we'll get to uh, that point there because yeah, again, it comes down to teams versus individuals and the fact that Nikki is there talking about how it doesn't matter what team wins. It's all about the belt. Well, if they keep doing this teamwork stuff, no one's getting a chance at the belt. So wouldn't you think that the teams even want to disband realizing that, okay, at some point one of us actually has to challenge for the title, Jeff.
2: Oh Yeah. And and that goes to motivation and character motivation. If the whole point is this, this Divas re- Revolution, which Stephanie po- pointed out, is because Nikki Bella runs the division, and the most thing most important to her is breaking that record. How come nobody yet has said, "I want the belt Gosh, so I can uh, break the record"? Yeah. yeah,
3: or I wanna, I wanna prove. I mean, think about it. Here's the thing, guys. Nikki has. Um, had this record leading up even before the Divas Revolution, and since the Divas Revolution has not yet had one title defense. Right. Right? So it's like, what, what is this record? What are we building towards, you know, since the introduction of all these new new gals on the roster? She hasn't even had to put her title up once since then. That's ridiculous. So hopefully, what I hope is... You know, I actually, there's a part of me that's optimistic coming out of last night's atrocious segment in that um, I'm hopeful that the idea before the segment died of Nikki holding up the title and making the title the thing, right, is a a sign of things to come. That now we're going to start getting into the, you know, that's the the golden nugget. That's the thing that everybody's going to be going for. And and it just so happens, you know, unfortunately, it happened, you know in in the midst of a, a segment that wasn't highly regarded by the fans. But I hope the storyline is there, and yeah, then I that, do think yeah. if one of the things you know Celia and I were talking about too is that that and Celia mentioned this just a a, a little bit ago of um. Charlotte against the stairs after the match looking kind of despondent and just kind of kind of pissed when Paige and Becky went to kind of help her up and I don't think you know I thought that was a storyline pissed look I don't think that was the pissed I'm going to go on mm-hmm. Twitter and complain about the fans in Brooklyn yeah I, I feel like you know maybe we're starting to sow the seeds of of if not dissension, just kind of frustration. Like I'm better than this. I should be going for the title. And at what point are we going to start seeing those tensions start to snap? And are we going to see like a three way or something at Night of Champions? What they do with the divas at Night of Champions when the when the the divas title is finally on the line? I I feel there's potential there. I don't I don't think it's going to bring this thing out of the the doldrums that it's been in. But it's at least going to be something, right? Because it's the first time since the start of all this that we've seen the belt on the line.
1: Yeah I, the uh, the Divas Revolution, as you uh, were saying there, is in re- regards to Nikki Bella. I mean, it's funny because you're right. Nikki Bella comes up, and the whole reason Paige got these cohorts, and it wasn't even her who went down to search for Becky and Charlotte. It was Stephanie who just said, "You know what, Paige? You need help. So I'm giving you help here from the NXT Divas." And Nikki hasn't defended the title. The Divas Revolution, if anything, has helped Nikki Bella retain that championship because she doesn't have to defend <laughs> the belt anymore. It's it's chaos. And, and, six
3: man's there's six six women's every yeah. Week.
1: It's always these tag team matches. And then as far as the Twitter reactions, because that was a big deal coming out of SummerSlam and Raw, is you had Sasha Banks, he had Paige, you had the Bellas going off about the Brooklyn crowd and how they were reacting during it. And and Celia is right. Like who were, who's given them the feedback? I'm sure. They all think they're working very hard to make this work and it's their baby and they want to they want to feel like they're doing the best job they could notwithstanding. You've gotten these non-televised segments, you have Paige who was doing a Q&A at Wizard World talking about the name team PCB and you can hmm. kind of see in those little interviews frustration that the women have with the creative team and how they're being presented in certain aspects because they give these ideas and they're not really followed through on. And then they're given ideas that go completely contrary to what they're all trying to do. Um, Nikki Bella with the gift that Celia saw in her work in the match with Sasha Banks is Nikki Bella looks like she's trying hard too. She may not just be capable of having these all around great matches, but she certainly is trying that. I don't think anyone in that group is not trying. It's just not the right way to present a whole revolution if you're going to keep calling it that. But that also maybe the case where they should just stop calling it that like stop yes. trying to brand it just let them go out and do what they do
4: i would I actually wonder if they didn't use that word at all if we'd all be thinking the same kind of thoughts if they hadn't introduced that word um, diva's revolution in with the whole concept and just let it play out we pr- we would we would be having similar conversations, but I don't think we'd be as harsh.
3: We wouldn't be as judgmental. Yeah, I, I think we'd be saying
1: instead of, oh, they're not living up to the revolution, they're not doing what NXT is doing, they're, we would be saying, oh, isn't it cool that they brought all of them up all at once and they're having, you know, more time on TV. Like, it's just, it's women's matches, but it, it's better than what it was in a lot of ways. It's not perfect. It's not great right now. It's true. But I think I think Les is right. There's potential there, especially if they break a Charlotte away, which I thought they were going to do at Summerslam. Like Celia and Les, did either of you think they might have broken someone off at Summerslam?
4: I thought something like that was going to happen. I was expect I was expecting more kind of turmoil yeah. at that segment versus some of the other turn of events that happened throughout. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely expecting some blowout and challenge and go for the title thing for sure.
3: Yeah. See, I and me and me too. I mean, I think. I was deflated when uh, when Team Bad was eliminated so quickly, and and that's when I knew, oh my God, they're just going to do a standard match, and uh, it, and then and so to me, a couple of things is one, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can kind of Celia and I watched SummerSlam together because I have WWE Network, and so she kind of leached off me for that, and she was like that deflated like that was it like just kind of like expected more nothing more really happened from it so big bummer there but then two you know as soon as it looked like it was just going to be a standard let's get one team out of the way and maybe it was like let's get sasha out because she worked so hard last night let's get her right out of the way and just break down to these this three-way when i tuned into raw last night and saw that they were basically having a, a, another rematch for all intents and purposes of the back half of the the three way from the night before. I just rolled my eyes I, cause, because I really did think we were going to start to see some legitimate development of this storyline going into Night of Champions, right? Because the whole gimmick of Night of Champions is... Every title in WWE is put on the line. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean compared to SummerSlam when the only title not defended at SummerSlam was the women's title? So when are we going to set that up? When are we going to get a challenger break away from the pack to go after that title to challenge Nikki Bella and say, you know what? You, you know, you talk a good game, you run your mouth, but you know, put up or shut up at night of champions. I thought we'd see that happen either at SummerSlam or, uh, or Raw. And, you know, when it didn't happen, that was my biggest disappointment. It wasn't the crowd doing the wave or chanting, we want Sasha. It was just, there wasn't a lot of movement in that storyline in a mix that already doesn't have a good storyline.
4: I think you might have been right with some foreshadowing there with Charlotte against the stairs, too. Um, I think it will be Charlotte who breaks off for sure. She's the only one that really doesn't fit into any team there. Like, why is why are her Becky Lynch and um, Paige even together? We don't even know because she made the third one. So make total sense if she was like, F this, I'm out of here.
1: And the final question I have for you two, and it's probably the most important question. I know Jeff wanted me to ask this one. (laughs) <laughs> braun strowman small sample size greater or worse than rowan your thoughts
2: i did not okay
3: oh i mean for me greater i mean he just he's not as he's not going to be as good a worker but he looks the part better we've already got a ginger in yeah. sheamus on the uh on the on the crew
1: Yeah, I I think he looks the part. He's throwing people around. He's big. Uh, What I liked about that presentation on Raw is he does the mean guy face like every bad guy, uh, you know, thinks a mean guy face should look like, you know, just start clenching your teeth, look mean, open the eyes real wide. But then they do that fade with the the Wyatt family little image there. And that brief second, you see him go from mean face to smile. And I think that's the kind of sadistic look you should have in the Wyatt family. I love it.
3: the one thing that I I feel um, questionable about is the devastating hug that he uses as his finisher. It's a devastating I'm not, hug, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't know that I'm down
1: with that. It, it's amazing because Roman Reigns, all he wants is appreciation and you know love from people, and he finally gets a hug and he passes out. Yeah, it, it,
3: Celia it, hates the. Wyatt family, just in general, because Whoa. they look so dirty and awful.
4: Oh God! Don't even touch me. I wouldn't even want to wrestle you. Don't even touch me. I don't want it. Do you think my... that's
1: maybe why Dean Ambrose is always in the ring with them because he doesn't mind the filth?
4: Maybe because I also noticed he's a bit gross too. He's quite gross. I think so. I think
3: it must be the wife beaters. Oh, it's gotta be. There's and something. The sweat Q and, and, and I oil. actually talk about this a lot. <laughs> oh
4: wait, is that there's just?
3: I think there's just something naturally repulsive. About the Wyatts, two women. I really do feel like that because our sample size of mm-hmm. maybe a handful of women is none of them can stomach anything to do with the Wyatt family. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I never, uh, I never thought about it that way. That's why it's good to have different perspectives. We can figure out what other I've people are into. I've never once
4: met a girl who's like, "Oh, that Bray Wyatt man."
1: That Bray Wyatt looks great. Let me buy a ticket oh, so I can be closer that to extra him. That stuff
4: in his beard is just delicious.
1: Well, well i appreciate you guys uh answering jeff's question there that was uh very nice of you too um i i want to thank you both for coming on to the show today i know you have another episode of talking sheet to record uh when you uh when your travels here on shake them ropes end. so thank you very much for uh joining us celia and less of talking sheet hey guess
3: who just walked in too what's up brothers <laughs>
1: We are back on Shake Them Ropes. Rob and Jeff here. It is time to now talk about our top 100 match. I want to thank Les and Celia again for coming onto the show. But Jeff Hawkins, Mm. it is time for match number 66 in the top 100 countdown from just a couple of years ago. WrestleMania 29, CM Punk, The Undertaker, The Battle. Really a battle... Not like many other WrestleMania Undertaker matches where the idea for CM Punk wasn't to actually win. It was just to make Undertaker lose. Like, it was a weird match we're going to get into here from WrestleMania 29. Your overall thoughts on second watch here, because I know we both watched it when it happened. Undertaker Mm -hmm. and CM Punk.
2: You know, in retrospect, I've kind of mellowed on my opinion of the build. I, I didn't care for it at the time, but CM Punk was great. In it, in terms of the acting and in terms of what he was doing with it. He was intense and he was believable as a guy who would go at
1: at all stops, at all costs.
2: I mean, even like the goofy stuff with the urn and, and you know, Paul Heyman dressing up as Paul Bearer. Right, but, but that kind of goes into yeah. Sam Punk's
1: character, did it not? Where he was just a guy who didn't care about anything. He was going yeah, he to was make trolling. Undertaker lose and he didn't care how he was being shown. He didn't care if it was out of taste he wanted to make sure he was getting an undertaker's head the way no one else has ever done
2: yeah and and um, you know i i thought punk was great in this match as well yeah. I, I i you know we we kind of get on get on him a bit for being a bit sloppy or not into it if his head's not right but he knew it was a big match so he had to deliver it, my only regret was that they didn't go stronger with the trying to make the undertaker lose you know, kind of doing the Eddie Guerrero spot with the chair. He gets Mm -hmm. hit and just kind of lays it next to him, trying to trick the referee. I would have liked, you know, I know they want to have a good match and I understand why they didn't do it for that reason. And that's perfectly fine with me. And
1: I think that's it too. That's the reason.
2: And I, yeah, and, and, and I can, and that's why I can forget for that, even though it was being built one way and they almost had the count out, which was nice. Although that table spot haunts me.
1: Yeah. Cause watching it. Because what they did, I mean, at one point they did, you know, a lot of it, Mike Kyoto was the ref and Undertaker would get these punches in the corner and do different things. And Mike Kyoto was telling him to break and yeah. the announcers, he was so close to the five count where the announcers were talking about how all Undertaker has to do is lose his composure. And he could get disqualified, and that would be a loss. It would be a loss on the record. Like CM Punk's not really trying to win. He was trying to get Undertaker DQ'd. He was trying to use the table spot to get a countout victory. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of this match, while still trying to have a classic match, so that's why I think they didn't do it too often, is Undertaker or CM Punk was just trying to get the illegitimate if you will victory. He was right. he was more so trying to get the loss on the record of the Undertaker more than he was trying to win a match cuz cuz there was nothing really at stake for CM Punk in this match. If a victory happened, it was all about getting Undertaker the loss.
2: Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people had had kind of dismissed the match to be honest with you because there ah, there's no way CM Punk's going to win this match. So, you know, whatever happens here does it, but you know, in a vacuum, it's a very entertaining match and I still you know, the number of little things that Punk does during the course of this match, especially always calling for the power of the urn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I think are 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 fantastic here. And and Heyman's really great here in terms of, you know, that was two and a half. You almost got him. Let's right. keep on you know, being the kind of the coach. And when you put that in the entire storyline of then when Brock and and Undertaker go together, it makes, you know, it makes a nice little Continuity thing there. I, I really like that too. Yeah, because and this match starts,
1: I mean, you have uh from start to finish, it's a whole presentation. I mean CM Punk comes out, it's his last WrestleMania match uh, you know, in hindsight. We have living color coming out to play cult of personality live for him down to the yep. ring.
2: And I love me some living color. So I thought they were really good here too. <laughs> it
1: ended up being Undertaker's last win in the 21 match winning streak is at WrestleMania 30. He would lose to Brock Lesnar and a lot of the reason why Punk was growing frustrated with WWE. You know, he did the Colt Cabana podcast where he talks about a lot of it being medical, but in the ring. This was the third of four years where CM Punk thought he might get the main event, which was his biggest goal in WWE. It was the third of four years where he didn't because at WrestleMania 27, Punk thought that was his year. It didn't happen. The Miz was in the main event. You know, the Rock returned the next year and Punk and Jericho was the semi main. And here you go with Triple H trying to convince CM Punk that the Undertaker match is really a semi main event also. But Punk, of course, not buying it. He always wanted to be the last match on the show. And then WrestleMania 30, he knew before he quit that he wasn't going to be the main event. They were going in a different direction with Batista, and then it eventually became Daniel Bryan. So this was a string of matches here where CM Punk was going in kind of with a chip on his shoulder to show why he was the focal point of WWE or why at least he should be.
2: You know, in retrospect, let me ask you something here about that, because I always found that interesting that he'd want to be in the last match. You think he cared about winning that last match or he oh, just no. wanted to be in it?
1: I just think he wanted to be in it. He wanted okay. to be the main event of WrestleMania because there have I been agree. plenty of those before him who didn't win the main events right. that he still looked up to.
2: I was just, yeah, I, I I believe him when he says that. A lot of people didn't. They go, well, he wants the, the shot with the confetti over him. And so I go, no, I just think he wants to know that they had the full faith and trust that they could put him in the last match of the night and that he'd deliver. He he wanted to be
1: the main event. He wanted Mm -hmm. it to be with somebody, of course. He wasn't trying to say, I won the main event. I just wanted to be in the main event. And he's been pretty consistent on that point, too. He's been pretty consistent in saying all he wanted was the last match on the show. He wanted to be in the spot that, you know, Steve Austin and and, uh, HBK were, that The Rock and Austin were. He just wanted that main event.
2: Yeah. Part of me is happy. This is his last WrestleMania match. I think this is a great match for him to go away from as opposed to having, as opposed to having to like, what was the original plan
1: when he walked out? Well, you can, when the original plan was, he was going to wrestle triple H, but, and that would have been probably a really good WrestleMania match too. But I think people want to remember CM Punk with this match versus the Undertaker being his last match, not just his Mm -hmm. last match at WrestleMania, but being one of his last important matches Because in theory, his last match was the Royal Rumble, and no one's going to remember that as CM Punk's, you know, for CM Punk. You know, so this is a last match that you can look at and actually mean something. His last match at a WrestleMania was against The Undertaker, a match that, you know, a lot of people out there have differing thoughts on the quality of it. I think it was maybe the last strong Undertaker WrestleMania match because he's oh, had yeah. the matches with Bray and the Undertaker uh, Brock Lesnar match where Undertaker suffered a concussion midway through, and it hurt severely the quality of the match. But this is a last one that a lot of people can look at. This may very well be the Undertaker's last great match, depending on how you think about his match with Brock from SummerSlam. It very well could be the last great match of the Undertaker.
2: No, I would take this one. And I always live in kind of, there's there's always the occasional alternate reality timeline I think about. What if Undertaker had made the call to lose to CM Punk?
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of different ways you can go. Well, what uh, one person on our Twitter feed, when I talked about how we were going to talk about this match, said that it's amazing. In fact, it was the Dames. It was the Dames7 on Twitter said it was his match of the night. Uh, Punk was a credible threat. And imagine how much heat there would have been had CM Punk not lost the title to The Rock. And this would have been career versus title. Because there was a real possibility that they could have had CM Punk go to WrestleMania as the champion, but they ended up having him lose the title to The Rock. So at WrestleMania 29 main event could be The Rock and Cena for the championship.
2: Oh, that would have been awesome.
1: But yeah, imagine (laughs) CM Punk and The Undertaker. It was very possible. A lot of people thinking going in. I thought going in, they could have done The Undertaker and CM Punk title versus streak. And because then you have a different question, because I don't know... If a, if many out there would have thought that the Undertaker was going to win the championship either. Like honestly, putting the title on the line may have helped the credibility of CM Punk going into this match. People thinking that maybe CM Punk could actually be the one
2: yeah. to go in oh, future that, as yeah, the that, one that, who ended that, the streak. That, that definitely will have held my interest, but you knew they weren't going to do that having seen in the rock on the top of the card. Oh, I know, Is no, he-
1: no, no. Yeah, obviously, doing a, on the top of the card, it, it kind of it hurts that whole thing. But you never, you never know. Like, if there's one small little change there, even if the Undertaker still wins, if nothing else changes, if Undertaker wins and wins the championship, and maybe you know loses it later or just drops the championship, I don't know. It, it could have been one of those small differences that may have added to that match, possibly. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, it was an Undertaker triple or an Undertaker CM Punk match. I mean, it was very good. You know, this is your
2: favorite CM Punk match.
1: I think the John Cena match at money in the bank, 2011 yeah, to this day right. still is my favorite CM Punk WWE match. Yeah. Um, maybe not my favorite CM Punk match overall, but it's my favorite WWE CM Punk match. Dave Meltzer rated this one at four and a, at four and a half stars. Actually voices of wrestling put it at four and a quarter. Uh, we got some Twitter reaction. Like I said, we put this out there Uh, rich Kraych on Twitter solidly behind t- the two HBK matches ahead of the two Triple H matches. So he rates it kind of right there in the middle.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Of the Undertaker, Triple H, and HBK matches there. Um, Quinton Moody on Twitter says, most likely a top five streak match. I think I would have to agree there for sure. Yeah, with the other
2: Yeah, with probably the other four that we've just mentioned being the others. Yeah,
1: probably I would say so. Uh, The Batista WrestleMania match, I remember being pretty good too. I liked the Flair one a bit too. The Flair one at WrestleMania 18, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Greg on Twitter says he hated the build to it, which mm-hmm. might be universal. I mean, this was, of course, the building up to this match was Paul Bearer's death. So they used that in storyline. They used the urn in storyline. You had Paul Heyman dressing up as Paul Bearer on that one raw. So there was a lot of sick kind of stuff there in the storyline buildup.
2: Yeah, um, I think I think and I think for me, it, it kind of went a bit into the supernatural stuff a bit too much as opposed to punk trolling. Supernatural, more. but just kind of poor
1: taste using yeah. the real death of yeah. uh, Paul Bearer. Like, it's and not the ashes
2: like his, coming out of the urn. Yeah, because, I
1: mean, his character didn't die on TV. The man did. Yeah. So it was just odd. Um, he, Greg, go on. He uh, goes on to state that sitting in MetLife Live. The two sucked me in. It was a great atmosphere. So Greg was live at that show, WrestleMania 29. Mm. uh, So for that one, but uh, overall, yes, I mean, definitely worthy. I would say Uh, maybe not if CM Punk was still around, maybe if the Undertaker hadn't lost the streak the next year uh, later, but because of what it means being CM Punk's last WrestleMania match, the Undertaker's last win in the streak, definitely worthy of being in the top 100.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. And, and it's worthy of being this high on it.
1: So I am going to look now because. As I have
2: it. You I have, have it. I yeah,
1: because you know, because as per usual, I do a horrible job of writing down and following up <laughs> on what our next match is. So why don't you go ahead and break the news to people? What is going to be match number 65?
2: Up next week, a match that will live in infamy. WWE Canadian Stampede. A uh-huh. Heart Foundation versus Steve Austin Gold Dust. Ken Shamrock and the Legion of doom, the road warriors.
1: Yes. I, uh, I look forward to that one greatly. We're going to talk about it next week on shake them ropes.
2: We're going to bury Bruce Hart. No, <laughs> wow.
1: L- literally.
2: I, we might.
1: Cause I would, I would hope that's already been done.
2: Mm. Bruce Hart. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I know he's alive.
2: Oh, all right. I'm just Sorry.
1: saying, actually, I didn't know he was alive at all. Shake Them Ropes is a free weekly audio show where Jeff Hawkins and I, Rob McCarran, discuss the current happenings in WWE, NXT, and the world of pro wrestling. We also review the top 100 matches on WWE Network Weekly, and you can follow along to our countdown by following us on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes. The website is VoicesOfWrestling.com and our email is Rob at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Be sure to catch our weekly episode post shows on YouTube where Jeff and I answer Twitter questions and share information on future episodes. You can subscribe free at youtube.com/slash voices of wrestling. I encourage you to listen and discuss our shows on the Voices of Wrestling community forums free at voicesofwrestling.com. And if you like our show, we'd appreciate it if you shared it with others on your social media feeds. If you shop on Amazon and WWE Shop, you can help Shake Them Ropes by shopping on our affiliate link. The affiliate link is free, gets you to the website, and you pay no extra costs at all, and we get a small little kickback to support the show. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Amazon will get you to our Amazon page, and WWE Shop can be found at Voicesofwrestling.com slash WWE Shop. All the links will be in the podcast description, and you can get all our information on Twitter, at ShakeThemRopes.
0: In a world of wonder.